Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Beyond the Big Screen Podcast with your host, Steve Guerra. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Big Screen Podcast, where we talk about great movies and stories so great they should be movies. Links to learn more about our guest today can be found in the show notes. You can support Beyond the Big Screen on Patreon.com. By joining on Patreon, you help keep Beyond the Big Screen sustainable and get many great benefits. Go to Patreon.com forward slash Beyond the Big Screen to learn more and sign up. Find show notes, links to subscribe, and leave Apple Podcast reviews by going to our website, BeyondTheBigScreen.com. And now, let's go beyond the big screen. Thank you for joining us again on Beyond the Big Screen. Thank you for joining Mustache Chris and I as we begin a short series on horror movies and getting ready for the Halloween spirit. And even if you're not listening during the Halloween time period, which we're not currently in as recording and live streaming, but it's coming up. And I mean, you can enjoy Halloween and horror movies all year round. Today, we're going to talk about the 1982 John Carpenter drama horror classic, The Thing. This does not easily check boxes. So we're in for a really interesting conversation. Now, first off, when we started talking about doing some Halloween movies, if people go back to last year, we did Coco, and uh, that was a little bit of surprising. It surprised Mustache, too. Um, why did you go with your first pick was The Thing? Uh, one of the people that comment on our uh, Facebook page all the time, Sean, I believe his name is, He we had a back and forth about this this movie, and he said he was a big fan of it. So, you know, and I'm a huge fan of this film, and it's, I mean, at the time that it came out, it really wasn't appreciated, and it's, over time, has become a cult classic, and I figured, you know, this is one of my favorite horror films, if not my favorite horror film, and uh, I don't know, I figured it there'd probably be enough people who listen to our show who hadn't seen it or maybe hadn't heard of it. Now, a little of the background on it. It's based on a novella by John W. Campbell, and he's one of these uh, 50s sci-fi. He kind of reminds me of Robert Heinlein in a way that he uh, went through a couple of different political phases, but he had some strong political feelings. And the short story is called Who Goes There? And it's almost the exact same concept. I think the, the movie really 
faithfully, at least in the setting, got this idea of the movie taking place in Antarctica, and it's completely remote, and everything is completely shut down, which that really sets the sets the tone of the movie once those characters are locked into the ice base in antarctica it becomes a one stage play which i think is really interesting yeah you mentioned you had i i haven't read the uh the uh short story myself uh you said it was good though right yeah i haven't uh for full disclosure i haven't finished it all but um i read about a quarter of it and it's pretty good it's it has the very same uh tone that the movie has of a just a real slow burn of a you know building tension which i think is something we'll definitely get into as we talk today now what do you say where should we start off with with this movie yeah there's a lot <laughs> i mean i guess we could start like I guess we could start with, I guess we're going back to ancient aliens, a throwback to Prometheus. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, like, in the first shot of the film, we see it's an alien spaceship that crashes onto Earth, and then we quickly find out that it's crashed in the Antarctic and frozen the ground along with the alien. Um, I mean, to me, I, I, I really like this idea because I find it somewhat believable because for the most part, Human beings could not go to Antarctica because it's, you know, uninhabitable. Um, it's realistic, I think, in the sense that something like we th think that there's different things frozen underneath the ice in the Antarctic, but we can't really get to them because it's so deep. And I mean, to me, it seems like a very plausible scenario where, I mean, potentially maybe we do find aliens that visited this planet or something of that nature if we start like actually just digging underneath the surface of the ice on in the Ar in uh antarctic it really sets a story too i think that when you have a that closed environment nothing's coming in and nothing can go out then you can really play with those ideas and the themes that this movie really hits hits on too yeah i mean well, what's your opinion do you think like the 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 the, the organism or what have you that ends up causing all the mayhem on the base do you think it was in the spaceship or do you think and that's what caused this alien to crash or do you think like the alien itself is the organism and there's something went wrong with the ship and that's why he crashed on crashed the way he did i might be getting the movie and the novel uh mixed up but they kind of set it up that it could have been a parasite on the ship too. And I think that that's a really interesting theory uh, or an idea to explore because who knows if a spaceship ever crashed on the earth, what would go on? They talked about it in the book. Um, what I, it was McCready was a, the main character played by Russell, uh, Kurt Russell that, oh, what if we get a disease from, from this thing? And the doctor basically said, well, in even in amongst animals, our uh, um, bacteria and most de diseases can't jump from a snake to a human. So the, that's what the, kind of what they based on just ripping this, uh, this organism apart is by saying that it's so far removed from humans that it could never do anything to them. And I think that that's playing with that idea of 
we don't know what the heck is going on with aliens. And if our first contact contact is with a bunch of uh, roughnecks that we're not going to get a real clear scientific view of it, we're going to get a survival situation. Yeah, I mean, it's just a really interesting concept to think about. I mean, there's a lot of like crazy. You ever heard this like conspiracy theory about like octopuses? No, that they're aliens. They're actually like aliens. And I mean, if you would just sit and watch videos of octopuses, it they're incredibly weird. Like the way they change color and the way they float in the water and everything like that, it doesn't seem like something of this planet. I think that that's one thing that a lot of people are always looking to outer space for new discoveries when we have oceans that we have no idea what's going on in the oceans that they find new things every day that are weirder and creepier than almost anything you could imagine in outer space and i think in a lot of ways i maybe i'm a little controversial here i think we're wasting a lot of money on space travel when we could be exploring our own planet that we don't really know much about. Well, yeah, and then to bring it back to the movie, I mean, the polar ice caps, right? We got like thousands of feet of ice that potentially could hold all different types of secrets, you know, maybe an alien spacecraft in this case, but hopefully not this type of alien because it doesn't go very well. So let's talk about this theme of isolation, because I think that that's probably the key theme to the whole movie. And that's what really turns up all of the other emotions that all these characters feel. Let's talk about their isolation. Yeah, if you take the movie as a whole, I find the first half of the movie sets up the isolation really well. And then once we get to the uh, the other theme that we'll talk about, but. Yeah, the first half of the movie, I think, does a really good job of setting up uh, just how isolated these guys are. Like, they're it's the frozen tundra, right? It, there's nothing there but, you know, ice and snow. Um, and there's only a small group of them. And you can't even go too far away from the base, especially because if you get hit by a storm, that's it. You're gone. I know it's crazy to think, but in the movie, they depict them holding onto a line. Usually, you'd be clip onto the line. That's an, an actual thing. If you fall off that line, you're a goner. Uh, I, w- I remember I watching a documentary. I think it was Herzog did this one where these people living in the Antarctic, like as he was fascinated, what type of person would actually do this job? And so they do a bunch of like different, you sh- different tests in case you ever did get lost. There's this one where they put like a bucket on a person's head to mimic snow, snow blindness. And you literally, you can't see anything. Um, so they set that up really well, like right from the get go, in my opinion. And then even the Norwegians who are hunting this dog that's running to the other base in this helicopter. I mean, they get into contact with humans and with the our our main characters and they're unable to communicate with each other because he speaks Norwegian and they speak English. So even between them, they're isolated. I mean, and you can even argue that the alien is isolated, too. I mean, he's been cut off from his host civilization, his host planet for, I don't know, they say 100,000 years could be longer. They're just guessing. Um, So, like, even everyone, the the Norwegians are isolated, the humans are isolated, and this alien, in a lot of ways, is isolated. This is not where he's supposed to be. 
Steve here again. We are a member of the Parthenon Podcast Network, featuring great shows like Chris Mowery's Vlogging Through History and many other great podcasts. Go over to Parthenon Podcast to learn more. And now here's a quick word from our sponsors. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com. Casino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, at um, the isolation of Antarctica, even today with modern technology and communications, pretty much when they put them in in the summer and once the winter kicks in, like you're not leaving and they're prepared with the food and everything, but there's no emergency rescues or anything. And the storms just roll up and people live pretty well, like on McMurdo and the main bases. But if there's any little sub bases, like they are locked down. Oh, yeah. I mean, and even if you're on one of the nicer bases, like you're you're inside for months and months with the same people and i assume even with the modern technology communication itself is very touch and go especially if there's like a storm going on i mean cabin fever is it's a legitimate thing right it uh it can start making people go crazy it can happen fast too where if there's any sort of sense that things aren't under control people just completely spin out of control and they form factions and because nobody can trust anyone and especially you throw in this outside factor of an alien that can take over uh, and mimic shapes and then you just don't even know i mean that it's the the very thought of that is terrifying it's terrifying to have lost it can you know lost your connection to the the outside world and say it's just a regular person who just loses it and becomes like a serial killer on the base like yeah. how crazy that would be let alone something that's just it's your worst fear you could ever imagine is they're getting yeah. plunged into well and it's the, the key is there's nowhere to go right like you can't like what you can't just go outside and be like well i'm just gonna run to the nearest base you can't 
that you're going to die. It's you're stuck where you are and there's no way there's no one else to talk to. It's I mean, it's terrifying to think about. I I've often thought about what type of person would actually, you know, willingly go to one of these bases <laughs> on one of the polar ice caps. It blows my mind. Don't you think in a way that that goes against like the movie in a lot of ways is fighting against all of our cultural viewpoints and are are probably what's ingrained into us into our core that if there's a problem you either confront it or you run away and in this situation they really can't do any like mccready keeps trying to confront it but he can't really confront the problem that they don't really know what the problem is no not really it takes them a little while to I mean, the the main doctor, Blair, is uh, this is one thing I thought the movie did pretty well because he figured he's most of the time it's like, I don't know, he has the doctors have some kind of a Rico moment and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, this is, explains everything where Blair's you can see he's thinking through it and then he slowly kind of figures it out, like exactly what's going on. Um, yeah, because, I mean, they can't really run away from it. And then because basically what this organism does is it like grabs like a host and then just mimics you and by the time that the process is all done there's really you can't tell whether it's uh the organism like the the infected organism the alien or the person that they were before so not on top of it you're isolated but also this the people that you're this small group of people that you're living around with you can't really trust any of them so you compound that and you're even more isolated and then the paranoia gets in the paranoia too where the paranoia and the lack of trust in the fact that in the 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 setup of the movie these are all just a bunch of guys thrown together they're scientist types there's nobody is really naturally friends they're not there as a natural group they're just people who are thrown together and they don't have any sort of real tie to each other which i think that is what really hits the the paranoia to the it puts the pedal to the metal on the paranoia right away yeah and i thought that was a good thing that the movie set up pretty well too is like these guys just kind of seem to have a working like some of them seem to be a little bit closer to each other than others but it's a very kind of i don't know like a work relationship right so who knows how long they've known each other maybe they didn't know each other before they even got onto this base and how long have they been on this base i don't know you know maybe it's only been a couple of months you know it you can't really trust somebody within that time frame and then you add the organism and it just compounds it even more so to Tell us a little bit more of what you're thinking about this paranoia aspect and how that plays into the movie. Well, yeah, like I pointed out, like the, I find the first half of the movie really sets up the isolation well. And then once the organism starts going, that's where the the paranoia theme seems to take over and the isolation theme takes a little bit of a, a step back. And I mean, it just goes if the once the paranoia takes over, in my opinion, they do the exact opposite of really what they should do. Like they start turning on each other when in reality they should have came together. But by the time they come to that realization though, the it's already too late. Like they have to come to the conclusion. It's like either us or the alien, this alien organism is somehow going to infect the rest of the, the planet. So they end up having to sacrifice themselves. But if they had worked from the get go, they might've been able to come up with some kind of game plan 
to deal with this alien, but they were too paranoid about, you know, who was infected and not infected. I mean, I'm not even really judging them because I would probably be thinking the same thing myself. This movie reminds me a lot of a book that you had suggested I read years ago about um, a group of people who get trapped in a um, like an, a Native American uh, pyramid and it traps the people in there and they think that they're going to. Oh, I wish I could remember the name of the book, The Ruins. And every group that goes in there thinks that they're going to be the ones who figure it out. And I, I think it gets back to this can do attitude that we have that maybe gets that really finally gets killed in this movie that we're not going to figure it out. The Norwegians in the camp, uh, a couple miles down the the road in Antarctica didn't figure out a way to kill the alien. And they did every single thing that that our group winds up doing. And it just kind of it's very um, it, it really inverts our feeling that there has to be a resolution. We have to fix this. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, they also didn't do themselves any favors, too, because initially they were going to save some of these, you know, specimens that they found at their Norwegian base as, you know, part of their scientific discoveries when very clearly, I don't know about you or me, about me personally, I would have looked at that and be like, oh, yeah, that's going like right in the fire. Because <laughs> there's something about the 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 practical effects is which I think is one of the more one of the things that the movie's probably most famous for or. A, they're they're incredible and they hold up really well. There's something just very unnerving about them because there's certain parts of it you see that oh you see a human there, but it's a deformed human. It's uh I don't know, it's very unsettling. Even though the I mean that the technology is a little, you know, it's a little clunky, but like you said, you could see the what the the symbolism was supposed to mean. And I think that that's probably is creepier than if it had 2000, you know, late 2020s, early 2020s uh, special effects. It's, it wouldn't um, you, you need to have that creativity behind the special effects, which I think that the visuals that went through were really um, spot on. Yeah, and even the like John Carpenter is pretty famous for being like a indie style director. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you see in this movie were really cutting edge at the time, and these guys were just kind of figuring it out as they go around. That's why it has such a, a unique feel to it because the filmmaker himself really comes across in the movie, where a lot of the modern films now, I just don't really feel. I just don't get a sense that I'm really seeing the filmmaker, like his vision. It just seems like it's made out of a, we've talked about this before, seems like it's almost like made out of a factory. I, I think so. I think that's true that you can see when somebody's actually trying to make a piece of art versus yeah. just trying to show off. Like, how can we make this alien as cool and as creepy as possible, but not really get any other message through with it? This film itself is really, it's heavily influenced. And the novel, I assume, even though I haven't, I haven't read it myself, is it's pretty heavily influenced by H.P. Lovecraft. And there's a lot of people that uh, hate H.P. Lovecraft, and there's a lot of people that love H.P. Lovecraft, and I think I remember you saying you weren't a big fan 
So I was a little worried when we decided to do this movie. You wouldn't, you weren't going to enjoy it because it's got HP Lovecraft's fingers all over it, and it's like a subgenre in the horror genre. And I've heard it like called, I don't know, like a uh, cosmic horror. I don't, I don't really understand what that means. I've always just kind of called it dread horror or nihilistic horror. To me, that w- what really uh, makes this makes this kind of horror stand out is they all have like a like a unique theme to it, where like even the the alien itself to me kind of represents death in a lot of ways, right? Where like human beings are the only kind of creatures on the face that we are at least we're aware of that we're pretty much from really early on we're self aware of our own mortality. Like we know that death is coming right around the corner. Could have, you know, it could happen at any time, right? You know, you go outside and get hit by a car or you get sick or it's just this constant thing that's hanging over our heads. And it's kind of like the thing in a lot of ways where this thing is constantly around you and you're paranoid about it, but there's not really much you can do about it. Um yeah, we, you know, we keep on fighting it like in our, for the human species, like we continue to procreate, we continue to try to fight death, right? But it's inevitable that death's going to win. Um, and to me, this is kind of like the whole cosmic horror, whatever you want to call it, dread horror, nihilistic horror. Um, this is what makes it unique is the sense that like a lot of like the the anim- the uh, the monsters that are involved in these stories uh to me they they kind of represent this uh impending doom this crisis of uh, humanity in the sense that we understand that death's creeping and it's always around us yet there's nothing we can do about it. it's really horrific when you actually do sit and think about the fact that we are well aware of this at all times and yet there's nothing we can do about it, much like the guys on the base. That really is. That's the real monster of the movie is death and man himself, the paranoia, the 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 hatred, the violence. That's all the things that are the real monster in the movie. The alien is just kind of a is just a device for us to explore all these different issues. Yeah, it really when you boil down to it. Yeah, I mean, and that uh, I, to me, that's why I really enjoy this type of horror. I mean, John Carpenter also did uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which is uh, directly inspired by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Um, he he's always kind of Prince of Darkness is kind of in a similar kind of vein. He's always kind of dabbled into this type of horror. He's also he was also he also did Halloween, right, which is your typical slasher fare. Um, but it's one of these um, themes that I um, that I've always really enjoyed in horror films because it is it is a very difficult question to ask yourself as a human being. You know, knowing our own mortality is it? You know, this is kind of going a little bit off the rails here, but I mean, it, can you really justify like procreating a another human being in the sense knowing that you're just going to be doing the you're going to be stowing this this almost seems like a mistake of nature onto them too. The fact that we're self-aware of our own mortality, we're self-aware that death is around the corner. I mean, there's a lot of philosophers have come to the conclusion that it's, um, it's, it's not fair. Like the best thing for the human species to do is just collectively say, we're not doing this anymore. And, 
because it's not something that we asked for. And it almost seems like it was an accident that we're aware that we're all going to die. Do you think most people live like that, though? Like death is eminent? I think people are, I mean, obviously some people take it like to a far more extreme way, but I think most people are aware, yeah, that's that's it is around the corner. I mean, it is, um, I mean, it's one thing that gives us a little bit of an advantage because we have like a survival mechanism that kicks in, right? But I mean, if I really think about it for a minute, um, I'm trying to remember there was a book that came out, the, um, I think it's called The Conspiracy of the Human Race, or I'll, I'll post it on Facebook so I get it uh, properly. But it basically broke down this theme that I've talked about uh, in terms of in, in relation to this movie. And it goes through all the major philosophers that have talked about, like, the, the fact that we're aware of our own mortality and then we're aware that death is uh, is a thing where most animals are just not aware of this. Um, at least we do. No, they're not aware of this, not the way human beings are. And we can sit and contemplate it and wonder what happens after we die or if anything happens after we die. And it usually for the most human beings that they, you know, think a little bit, they spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, what's going to happen after my existence ends. It's, I mean, it's kind of cruel when you do think about it. <laughs> I mean, it might be the source of our strength too, though, in the sense that we are aware of it, and yet we continue to continue to fight it. Like McCready, uh, McCready, sorry. Steve here again with a quick word from our sponsors. Hey everyone, I'd like to say something about a new product I've tried called Calatrin. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calatrin is for healthy weight loss. I have taken Calatrin myself, and I can honestly confirm that I've lost weight, I sleep better, and I have found relief from a joint injury that I sustained in my arm. Calatrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age, and I am reaching of that age where things decrease. Taking Calatrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calatrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free, plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word BBS two three zero six zero five and I'll send you a link to this special offer. Text the word BBS two three zero six zero five. Give Calatrin a try. I think you'll enjoy it, and I'll talk to you next time. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East, equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.
One of the best works of art about World War I isn't Johnny Got His Gun or 1917, but the Swedish heavy metal band Sabaton's album, The Great War. Here's lead singer Joachim Bronen. From a more general point of view, I feel like our music, from the emotional spectrum, I guess, that's in our music, it's pretty emotionally close to what you'd find on the battlefield or in history. There is obviously the aggression, sometimes a sense of joy and pride, sometimes depression, and all of these things. You can listen to our full interview on the History Unplugged podcast, and you can find it on the podcast layer of your choice. Now, for me, I, what I really liked about this movie, and I think it comes across in a lot of John Carpenter movies, is the really slow burn. This does not have the standard story arc of, uh, you know, climax and then an, not even remotely a happy ending. I mean, it just it, it's one bad thing that happens to these characters after another after another. There's really no hope involved. I think in a way it's it's kind of like they live um, which was, uh, Keith David was in that movie as well. I get John Carpenter uses like a lot of directors, a certain cast of characters that he, of actors that he uses over and over again, but you get that same feel of, of it, that n there's no fixing this, that all the characters can really hope for is they hope to try and fix the situation. And then the, in the end, they realize that there really is no way for them to survive it. And they can really, all they can really do is try to put an end to the danger, even if it kills themselves in the, in the process. And what, what do you think, what kind of themes come out of that? I mean, I mean, self-sacrifice to a degree, right? I mean, life is pain. I mean, you've been discussing that for, you know, probably since we started talking, but a, a lot more recently, um, yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of these a lot of these characters that I mean none of them asked them asked to be put in this situation yet they were thrown into it and yeah they stumbled and you know they made mistakes along they made mistakes in the process of coming to the you know I mean the right conclusion the 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 good conclusion and the sense of we might not be able to make it out and that is what it is right but we're going to try to we're going to try our best to make sure that this organism doesn't reach the rest of humanity so if that means we have to sacrifice ourselves then so be it i mean the the film gets accused of being really nihilistic and i mean when we get to the ending we can talk about that but it is nihilistic in a lot of ways it's very unsettling it's very depressing and i mean this is a combination of the music the slow burn the fact that it you know it only takes place in a couple of rooms really uh adds to this feel but I mean, at the at the end of the day, the guy, the crew does they do the right thing in terms of trying their best to stop this organism slash alien, whatever you want to call it. And if that means they all have to die doing it, then so be it. Going back to your idea of, of humanity being, you know, one of the, the possibly maybe probably the only self-aware creature on Earth. I think in a way that that's our survival strategy is that we know that we have to do certain things and certain planning so that our our children or our civilization can go onwards. It's, I think that it's that idea that we have to plan forward because there is a time when we're not going to be around anymore. And it kind of moves us from just simple animals. Maybe that is what is the the real difference between man and beast is that that idea that plans that there's going to be something more 
after we're gone and that we in a way have to prepare for that and we have to our survival strategy is to prepare that so that our children can go forward and our you know now even growing past just our family our civilization can go forward yeah i would agree with that i mean being aware of death is i mean it's horrific to think about but at the same time it gives us it gives us a pretty good leg up in terms of planning ahead, right? Well, we don't want, we're trying to fight it and we're going to try to prolong it as long as we possibly can. So our next generation can live longer and then they can live longer. And I mean, maybe it's the secret to our success. Now, I think one of the things that I really, really liked about this movie is just the feeling of desperation, fear, and hate and it just plows on from one darker moment to the next to the next and mccready or mccready the um kurt russell's character i think he played that perfectly and he had enough of that early 80s action swagger and kurt russell cool swagger to really pull it off it was not i wouldn't say realistic necessarily but it was very theatrical and i think it it put forward the right tenor for the movie yeah and i think i to me i think this is one of his better acting performances personally i think the whole cast did a really good job because it was very none of their performances were really over the top they were all i think pretty realistic given the situation which is what this movie called for you know like this movie wouldn't work if Nicolas Cage was acting in it. <laughs> um, just say, so you know, it's a joke, right? It definitely required a certain amount of subtlety, subtlety, but yeah. not completely subtle. Like I, it was subtlety and like acting bombastically in the same, like overacting it at the same point. I, I think that probably wouldn't be something like Nicolas Cage could do it. You had, they had to keep dialing it back and forth to really get the, yeah. the to get that whole feeling come through. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Like, and I enjoyed the movie for the reasons that you pointed out, too. I, I, the special effects, to me, is what I really love the most. I mean, I love the lighting, too. There's this blue kind of lighting, especially in the second half of the movie, that kind of just permeates the the, uh, the whole movie. Um, and the music, which is done by Angelo Balamonte, who did the music for a lot of David Lynch's movies, Um is incredible it's just it's not a very it's not a score that will jump out to you right away it's just it really sets up like this impending doom because it's very uh, i don't know it's not like it's not heavy right well um let's talk a little bit before we talk about some of the things that we didn't love so much about the movie is let's talk about the ending the ending is really the the ending is really the most powerful point of the movie i would say what what are your ideas on the ending yeah so to set it up i'm the group comes to the conclusion that well they're not going to make it but you know for sure the alien's not going to make it either if they're not going to make it so they they come to the conclusion that they're just going to blow the whole base up um and they pull it off we see uh kurt russell seems to have blown up the the host alien thing that's the impression that we get uh cuts to a scene where he's just kind of lying and on the ground in the middle of the you know like a, a small well it's not the storm's not going on but it's obviously freezing 
um, going on in the rubble of the base that whatever's left over, right? Because they blew it all up. And, you know, Child shows up and they start talking. And, you know, Kurt Russell asks him, like, you know, like, where were you, buddy? And, you know, Child's like, well, I got lost with the rest of the group. I was uh, chasing down Blair and just get the sense of, is he telling the truth or has he changed? And Kurt Russell's going to get it next. And really, if that was the case, that child was the the thing and he killed, then he goes and kills or whatever, uh, subsumes Kurt Russell, it still dies there. It, do, it can't go any further, I believe. I guess that maybe that was kind of one of the weaker moments because the the dog was infected and he ran from the Norwegian base. Like, where does Childs go? Does he just wait? Is that like the breakout moment when somebody from the outside world finally does come and discovers what's going on and he's completely uh, taken on a human uh, out a, a human form, and that's what's going to make him take over the whole world. Then, yeah, I think maybe right. Uh, it's not. I mean, it would have been, I guess, a little bit better if they made it clear in the movie. Like, say, I don't know, the Norwegians heard about what happened on the base here, and then like the Americans got caught wind of what happened on the base here, so they're sending somebody to figure out like what's going on. Um, and then Childs would uh, infect that person if he was infected, and then you know the rest is history. Um, I don't know. It's a so it's been up for a big debate. You know, did this child's an alien or is he not an alien? I mean, I have a little theory myself, but I would say as a as a movie, when you have a movie like that, that a lot of other directors and screenwriters have failed to end a movie like that, and I would say that that was a satisfying ending, even though it was a cliffhanger ending. What's your theory on it? I mean, if you watch Kurt Russell when he's talking in the final scene, you see him breathing and it's like, a, you know, it's like a chimney coming out, right? Because it's cold. But if you see Childs, there's no breath coming off of them. And then there's just a little thing where we see that uh, Kurt Russell loves drinking. You know, he just wants to get drunk like before all this stuff happens. And, you know, he loves the scotch. He picks up a bottle and he doesn't drink it. And I, I just have a feeling that maybe that was like one of those Molotov cocktails or something that they were using. And it was like had kerosene oil in or something in it. And he hands it to Childs and Childs takes the swing right away. And then he just laughs because he kind of like he knows, oh, yeah, he's an alien. That's what I think personally. But just two little hints. But I mean, I mean, maybe that just means nothing. I don't know. Yeah, it really could. I mean, I think when you have somebody like John Carpenter, you're always looking for what are what are those little hints that he's giving us? And I think that that's probably the whole point of it is that they want us to delve into it and think of it that way. They're not going to hand it to us on a silver platter. I mean, that's yeah, I think child's turned and but i mean it, it doesn't really change what kurt russell did i mean he sacrificed himself in, in an attempt to try to do the right thing you know and destroying this alien and you know maybe it succeeds maybe the alien just you know that host it just freezes and that's it right or i don't know maybe the human race gets unlucky and a polar bear comes near it or something like that and it gets infected and then you know, people go study polar bears, get infected or what have you. I mean, or maybe he didn't change and 
they successfully stopped this thing, whatever it is, but they had to die in the process of doing it. I mean, that's what makes this film unique in the sense of most horror films as grim and bleak as a lot of them are. Usually somebody gets away in this one. Nobody gets away. That's what you mentioned. The movie, the, uh, the book, the ruins. That's what I really liked about the ruins is the fact that nobody, nobody got away. And then they totally screwed it up in the movie because somebody got away. <laughs> yeah. That's missing the point entirely. Yeah. It's missing it entirely. Um, you know, and most, I'm sure like when this film came out or the, you know, they brought it to the, the producers, the studio and they're like, what, what do you mean? Nobody survives. He's got to survive. Somebody's got to, you know, um, somebody's got to be the hero. Um, I'm sure they weren't too happy about it. <laughs> Let's maybe wrap this up with what were some of the things that you didn't love about the movie? I mean, of everything that I didn't, the things that I didn't really are things that I generally don't like about movies like this is that it was a slow burn and I can, I find myself uh, getting distracted and slow burns. And this was a really slow burn. Uh, what would you, what didn't you love about the movie and that you could maybe tweak to make it a, a little better? Um, I would have liked to have seen stuff of the alien ship a little bit more, you know, maybe they go inside it and, you know, check it out. I would have liked, I would have liked them to like just done a little bit more in terms of just how just crazy the Antarctic is in the sense of like snow blindness and like the storms that, you know, maybe showing somebody who got fell off the line or whatever. And then they didn't even get infected. They just froze to death outside in the storm. You know, I, I would have liked a little bit more of that. But I mean, like I said, I this is one of my favorite horror films. We're setting up for the next couple of uh, movies that we do are in the horror genre. And we're going to a little bit different with our next movie with Fright Night, the remake of Fright Night from the uh, uh, about a decade ago, the early-ish 2000s. So I think people, I hope uh, you join us for that. I hope you enjoyed today. Chris, do you have any final thoughts for us? Just uh, watching this movie, this is like one of my favorite quotes. It's so what the one of the dogs is changing and the guy who's in charge of um, I guess he's like the dog guy or what have you uh, sees it changing or what have you. And he goes and grabs the other guys and he has this great line of the movie. It's I don't know what the hell is in there, but it's weird and pissed off. I just yeah. <laughs> I just broke out laughing when I like thought that what was the other thing is the Blair um becomes infected or whatever and the alien is building a spaceship out of like parts from a helicopter or something like that and i just i thought that was like john carpenter adding like a little bit of like comic relief to the movie but other than that i mean i hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and you know yeah we're doing fright night and then uh you're letting me indulge my uh nightmare in elm street fandom after that yeah i think that that's uh, my, my final takeaway is that i love the, these movies especially john carpenter they're not afraid to be a little cheesy and it's it's i think it's very planned cheesiness but it it, it makes the movies just a lot more entertaining that they're not taking themselves completely seriously and that just little element of comedy i think just completely makes these movies well, and they have like they have like heart, right? John Carpenter I've always considered kind of like a punk rock like director in the sense that he's very indie. It's very do it yourself, and we just don't have that in film nowadays. Everything's so glossy and overproduced, and you know what I 
you don't understand what I'm saying in the sense that like you watch this movie and you see like like they're just kind of figuring it out as they go along or it seems uh like you watch a movie like Escape from New York or Big Trouble in Little Chinatown is another one that I really like that he did and then you can tell that like Carpenter just showed up to set and they figured out something quickly and you know what I mean like it just has it has an authentic feel to it it doesn't they don't feel like they were produced out of uh like a out of a factory um it's like music it's always an example you know the difference between like overproduced music and music that still has a, i don't know an indie quality to it Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.